It's a beautiful day and a fine time for healing. Podcast host Randy Fine, a narcissistic abuse expert and the author of the groundbreaking book Close Encounters of the Worst Kind and the captivating memoir Cliff Edge Road, invites you into her sanctuary, a place where your physical, emotional, and spiritual well-being are all that matter. So put your feet up, relax, and enjoy today's show. And now, here's Randy. Good morning. Thank you for tuning in to listen to A Fine Time for Healing. I'm your show host, Randy Fine. And today is Free Advice Friday, the day that I can take your calls and answer your questions about narcissistic abuse issues. But I have a really special treat for you today because I have a guest who is a divorce coach. And we're going to be talking about how it can be done, how we can divorce a narcissist. And my guest today is Susan Schofer. So one common emotion experienced by people thinking about divorce is fear. It's so prevalent that it stalls people from making good decisions, paralyzing them from going forward, staying in abusive marriages, losing assets, and confusing their children. Having someone guide you through the process of feeling scared to get divorced and answer all of the questions that come up is invaluable. Only will your stress level be reduced, but you will save yourself a huge amount of time and wasted expense in the process. So today's guest, Susan Schofer, she's a dear friend of mine, a colleague, and an outstanding divorce coach. I highly recommend her. She's renowned worldwide for the powerful TED Talk she gave on parental alienation. And Susan will share the details of the TED Talk, so you can watch it if you like. I highly recommend that you do. As a divorce and custody ally, she helps women and men navigate the troubled waters of a family breakup by sharing her own organized and pragmatic approach to the divorce process. Susan, this is important for you to know, Susan successfully crossed her own highly contentious divorce and post-divorce battle and was triumphant in her fight against parental alienation. Susan is the author of The Divorce Recovery Ladder and the forthcoming book about parental alienation. She is a former private investigator, a PI, and has an MBA from Johns Hopkins University and a BA from University of Maryland in ancient studies, archaeology, and classics. Susan is well-versed in so many things. But today, we're going to be talking about divorcing a narcissist. Good morning, Susan. Welcome. Hi, Randy. How are you today? I'm, I'm, I'm super psyched to be here. <laughs> this is exciting. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm really, really psyched to have you. Um, you know, to my listeners, Susan and I do a room on Clubhouse every Tuesday at 3 p.m., and we talk about this very subject. And so we are used to um, discussing this together, and sometimes we even uh, have clients that we send back and forth to each other. But the first question I want to ask you is, for people who don't know what a divorce coach is, what is a divorce coach? A divorce coach is somebody who helps you navigate through the waters of divorce, and, and they can be murky. My, uh, what I do is I specialize in high-conflict divorce and parental alienation. So when somebody comes to me, they're, they are really struggling. We know how to get married. You can ask a 12-year-old 
what their wedding is going to be like. And they will tell you about the caterer and the flowers and the, and the flower girls and, and, the, and everything. They, they know everything about getting married, but nobody teaches us how to get divorced. A divorce coach is somebody who can walk you through the process so that you understand every step of the way to discuss the things that matter to you, what to fight for, what to let go. Divorce is about letting go of certain things. You don't get everything in divorce. So that you walk out with a reasonable settlement, a custody arrangement with your children, and that you can move on to the next stage of your life. Because it really is a transition. It's not an end. It's an end of the marriage, but it's a transition into the next phase of your life. That sounds like it's so imperative for people to have. Uh, So... I know that you talk about um, how we should not internalize what's happening and that challenging. So tell us why we should not internalize and, and, and how to not do that. Well, let's remember we're talking about divorcing a narcissist. I say often, whether I'm in a clubhouse room, on a podcast, speaking to a large group, or even one-on-one with a one-on-one client, and I always preface it with, Here's how a normal divorce rolls, and here's what a high-conflict divorce looks like. And they're two separate things. When I went through my divorce years ago, this is before there was any such animal as what we know as a divorce coach. I looked for a divorce coach, and at the time there were life coaches, and they really didn't get to the what really goes on with a divorce. And so I think what happens what I see consistently, and for today, I, I kind of made a notation of what we can do and what we and what we shouldn't do. And I always say to my clients, "You're not a one-off. You're not a high-conflict divorce. What's happening to you feels terrible. It feels awful, as though you've been selected by your spouse to just be the target of all of their awful behavior." And that's not the truth. The truth is, they've done this before. If you're divorcing a narcissist, this this next hour is really for you because this is going to be such a validation. Usually when I I chat with people, they just still say to me, how do you know this? How do you know this? Randy and I have talked about this many times before. Narcissists are very predictable. And what they do in divorce is very predictable. What you do as the person who is being divorced by a narcissist or if you're divorcing one, that's where you have to switch up the game plan. Take yourself out of the defense and put yourself on the offense. That makes great sense. Um, and it's, that can be very scary for people. But for those of you who are listening today, this is the best advice you could get. Um, and, of course, Susan can back that up if you work with her. How do we hurt ourselves when dealing with narcissists? Because we do. We, um, we end up punishing ourselves somehow? There are five mistakes that are pretty consistent with people who are divorcing a narcissist. Now, when we hear the word mistake, we feel like we're being blamed. You're not. This is not a, we're not blaming you at all. I want everybody to understand that almost every single person who divorces a narcissist goes through these five mistakes. And by the way, I also also want to add, this is not only for somebody divorcing a narcissist, if you've been in a long-term relationship with somebody, you've lived with them for 17, 20 years, and you're breaking up, you just didn't have that piece of paper, the agony is still the same. 
So I just want to preface it that with that. So number one, and that is what I call love bombing number two. So exactly what is that? Most people who are divorcing a narcissist can tell you all about narcissistic supply and gray rocking and gaslighting, flying monkeys. They know everything and anything about narcissism. And they understand what love bombing is. So people will often say to me, you know, Susan, I, my, my husband was fabulous for like the two years. But the past 18 years, he's been cheating and lying and hoarding money. It's just been awful. So I'm going to tell him I want a divorce. And I always say stop right there. Don't tell them. Because what happens is you fall into what's called love bomb number two. And what is that? Love bomb number two is they learn that you want a divorce. Now, they can behave in two ways. But the majority of the time, one way is they get angry. That's very rare. Most of the time, they get upset. They're hurt. They're broken. They can't believe you want a divorce. They may even cry crocodile tears. They want to work this out with you. They agree to go into therapy. Now, mind you, they refused therapy for 18 years of your marriage, but now they want to go into therapy with you. And what do you do? You buy into it. Not that anything's wrong with that. You want to save your marriage. And they suddenly become the marvelous person they were for those two years that you started dating and when you first got married. And so you go along with it. You sign up for the therapist. You tell your mom and your best friend you're so excited because your marriage is now going to work out. And for the next few months, everything's great, right? It's all working out fantastic. You're going to therapy. Your ex is decided to be the coach of your son's baseball team, driving your daughter to ballet, cleaned out the garage. Everything is marvelous. And then four or five months into it, maybe six, they come to you and say, you know what, it's just not working out. I'm not feeling it. You're shocked and surprised. We're not. Those of us in the <laughs> high-conflict divorce and narcissist space are not surprised at all because during that time where you were being love bomb number two, they were strategizing. They've cleaned out bank accounts. They funnel money. If they own a business, suddenly they have new employees. Many times family members and friends go on their payroll so they can reduce their income or at least reduce it on paper so they can reduce their child support and alimony towards you. If you're eligible for alimony, your children are always eligible for child support. And all of this happens. Now, one of the key things that they will do during this period, which is really scary, is they may start to cozy up with some of your friends and family and tell them that, you know, we've had some problems in our marriage, but I'm really working on it with, with my wife or husband, but in this case, with say wife. And then when it doesn't work out, before they the bomb on you, <laughs> they then go to the flying monkeys and tell them how much they tried, but they just couldn't because you're so difficult. Or you're an alcoholic. Meanwhile, you've never had a, a drink in your life. Or... They think that, you know, you may be bipolar. And then what happens? <laughs> Your support system has been whittled away. So love bomb number two can be deadly, and many of us have fallen into that. There's four, uh, four more, number two. And I and by the way, Randy, I hear people, and, and I want to maybe take a break here for a second for people to maybe grab a piece of paper and a pen, because I think this is worthy to write down. What do you think? <laughs> I think so too. These are great tips. <laughs> right. Great and the tips. great and the so great thing one. is and the great thing is that they can listen to this over and over if they don't happen you know, if they're driving and they don't happen to have it. Um if you listen to this again, 
listen to it with pen and paper in hand. Okay. Number two, and this is this is a big one. Well, they're all big, but this this is on here pretty consistently. They try to change the person. Randy has spoken consistently on her podcast. She and I have spoken in rooms. We've talked to other narcissist experts. Randy is the top of the top of narcissist experts. And what we know and what people in the clinical space know is that they can't be changed. There's a wiring in the brain. Something happened, a combination of the two. It really doesn't matter. What they do know, and it's consistent across the board, is that a narcissist can change. So if a therapist knows they can't change, what makes you think you can change them? There is no amount of conjoling, begging, pleading, crying that will work to get them to change or even to understand what they've done to you. Or praying. <laughs> I know many times people have said to me, I'm praying for them to change. And I'm like, pray for yourself. Don't pray for them. because They really can't change. They are colorblind to human emotion. And at the core of narcissism is their lack of empathy. Empathy is what makes us human. We even see it in animals. We'll see, you know, a puppy take care of kittens. <laughs> we'll, see, we'll see the cross species of animals take care of each other. Narcissists don't do that. Narcissists have one person's motivation in mind, and that's them. Period. And when you really get that and understand that, they don't care about you. They never did. You think they did because you process and love normally, but they don't. They're colorblind to love. And I've used this example before. Imagine traffic lights. We know that people who are colorblind learn the position of the light so that when they see it illuminated in the position of the light, they know stop, go, or caution. Well, that's the same thing with, and and, and so by the way, no matter what you can say to somebody who's colorblind, green, red, if they can't see it, they don't get what that is. They don't understand what that is. They know it's a color, but they can't go beyond that. Well, it's the same thing with the narcissist. The narcissist has no idea what it feels like to really love. They know people love, but they don't know what it really feels like. They're colorblind. By talking to them, expecting them to change is just a waste of your time. My clients have told me consistently, and I've dealt with narcissists. You know, if you say something to somebody who's normal <laughs> or in the normal spectrum, and you say, you know what, you said this, it kind of hurt my feelings, they don't do it again. Or we know that oftentimes narcissists sexually, they do things that you don't like, and you say, I don't want you to do it again. You'll see that over and over and over again. And in fact, Randy's talked about this. You tell a narcissist you don't like something, you are guaranteed to see it again. Having a discussion with them, trying to change them is a waste of your time. So doing it, it's just more waste of your time. And your time is valuable. Number three, I get this a lot. Somebody wants to divorce a narcissist. They give me the litany of horrible things this person has done. We start working together. And then they say this. I know he's cheated and lied on me, and I know he's done terrible things to my kids, but, you know, Susan, you really don't know him, or Susan, you really don't know her. When you get to know them, they're really good people. This is a conversation that really has to stop at some point because they may show you a good sign, a relationship that is as intimate and by the way, you don't have intimacy with them. But when you are in an alleged intimate relationship with somebody, such as your husband, 
there should not be this the rottenness of the time, however, they have a good sign. Somebody who loves you and cares about you, ravishes you, cherishes you, honors you, they don't use bad language towards you, they don't threaten you, they don't make you afraid. They should be your soft place to land, not the person that you're always turning around and wondering if they're stabbing you in the back. There's no wiggle room. That person should not be the individual that is good to you sometimes. And my answer to that is, no, I don't really know them. But I know a narcissist, and this is not okay in a normal, healthy relationship. And a normal, healthy relationship does not equal one with a narcissist. You cannot have a normal, healthy relationship with a narcissist. Come or look at their history and wonder what they did wrong to have the narcissist be the way they are. I've heard people come to me. Yeah, I've had people say, well, you know, Susan, I came 20 pounds after my fourth child. Okay, so is that a reason for him to call you a fat cell? No, it's not. And I've heard some wretched stories about what the narcissist has said or done, or they excuse their cheating because you're spending time with the children, so they cheat. No, they cheat because they cheat. And Randy, I know, has spoken on the podcast show that they are eternally promiscuous, cheaters, sexual predators, the list goes on. This is not you. Don't blame yourself. Your partner should love and adore you, cherish you, honor you, and not blame you for their bad behavior. I guarantee you every narcissist will blame you for why they did something bad. If they cleaned out the bank account, it's somehow your fault. If they cheat on you, it's somehow your fault. If they stay away, the ha- stay away from the house for two days and you don't know where they are and they didn't call you because they were drunk somewhere and woke up in a hotel, somehow they will blame that on you because a narcissist never takes responsibility. If they apologize to you, it will almost always be very underhanded. It goes something like this. I'm sorry I cheated on you, but you know, you gained those 20 pounds after the fourth baby and you're just not appealing to me. The apology is there, not really. I'm sorry you got upset. It won't be, I'm really sorry I said these horrible things to you. I'm sorry you got upset. It's your responsibility for feeling that way. And then there comes the but, but, listen, and everything after that word but, they're blaming you. The fifth mistake that people make when divorcing a narcissist is not surrounding themselves with the right team. And when I say the right team, I mean find yourself a divorce coach, a therapist, and a good and a, an attorney. And I mean an excellent attorney. Very often people come to me, they're really at the end of the rope, and I ask them, well, what kind of attorney does your spouse have? And I almost always hear they have a shark, a bulldog, this person's coming after me, and then I ask them, what kind of attorney do you have? And they'll say they have a collaborative attorney. Well, collaborative attorneys are wonderful, and there is a movement to move divorces into a more collaborative space. It works out for everybody involved. It's better for the children. It's better on the pocketbook. When you're dealing with a narcissist, collaboration goes out the window. There is no collaboration. And what does happen in these divorces, a collaborative attorney is just really out of their sandbox. They don't know what to do with these cases. And they go from bad to worse, worse to worse, and right down a rabbit hole. And then before you know it, you're up against a wall. And when I say you need a team, you need this team up until the ink dries on your divorce and then after. Sometimes people will decide to drop their divorce coach or their 
therapist halfway through the divorce because then things seem okay. I can promise you, hands down, I have five cases right now where the people are between four and six months before the divorce and their ex is ramping it up. There was a lull. They thought things were moving along sort of nicely with, you know, a couple bumps here and there because they have a great attorney. They may be working with Randy or me or their therapist. And then they decide, you know, things are pretty status quo. I let everybody know. I'm letting all the listeners today know it ramps up. It ramps up three to four months, definitely before the divorce. You would think that they wouldn't behave like this when all eyes are on everyone. They do. And their attorneys will also. Make sure you have everything in place because if you, or everyone in place, because if you don't, you'll get triggered. And then when you get triggered, you get upset. And then again, everything starts to tumble. If you do things in a, in a strategic way, I can promise you, your divorce will be bumpy, but it won't be horrendous. <laughs> Dr. Romani always says, divorcing a narcissist is a nightmare, but get yourself a good coach, good therapist, good lawyer who understands this. And it won't be so horrible. You can get through it. Those are all excellent, excellent points. And I'm sure that everyone who is going through this can relate to them, at least, you know, a few of them, but probably all of them. It's truly amazing um, how this goes. There's someone who um, I think might be calling in. So let me just double check and see if they have a question for us. They might just be here to listen, okay? Okay. Okay. Good morning. Are you calling to, to ask a question or are you calling just to listen? Or are you just wanting to be silent? <laughs> Do you have a question? Okay. I'm going to put them back on hold because that's generally what happens. Okay. Okay. So you said that they get worse as they get closer to the divorce. What is, why are they doing that? Well, they do it for a lot of reasons. First of all, they're conflict oriented. So that right there uh, is part of the game. The other piece is they can't lose. Remember, normal healthy people Normal healthy divorces go something like this. Both parties are upset that the marriage didn't work out. Fur may fly a little bit, a couple little arguments along the way. They go to mediation. They, they try to figure things out so that they can be fair to each other, fair to the children, and then move on with their lives. And then both parties sort of go to, you know, their different lives and lick the wounds, you know, realize that there's been a loss in their life, and, and they go forward. Not in these cases. And what happens with the narcissist, if they feel like they're losing, and they always do, because a win for them is to annihilate you, to eviscerate you. If you have an attorney who's doing a great job for you, they get worse. Now, you have a great attorney who's, who's doing a great job for you. They see it, and you are well protected. If you have an attorney who doesn't get it, uh-oh, <laughs> They, then you're both annihilated. Your attorney gets bullied by the other attorney, and, and you're losing ground. For the narcissist, this is part of their game. Closer to the divorce, they feel like they're losing control, so they'll pull out all the stop. And I've seen them do some pretty wretched things. They will want your medical records from you know, 20 years ago. They will start 
pulling out photographs that they took of you, like in compromising positions. It just is stunning how low they will go to allegedly, quote, win, end quote. You know, I put that in air quotes because they're not really winning. Nobody's winning. And they will use the kids. Let's not forget that these people will use the kids as ammunition to hurt you. And that you know, there becomes this chaos. And around the there's, you know, the chaos they create, the drama they create, and the histrionics that are on top of that. And you don't know, you get to a place where you're exhausted emotionally, you're, you're broken down. So I prepare my clients. I let every single person know this is going to get worse. And I love it when I have clients whose attorneys tell them the same thing. I've had clients come to me and say, oh, my gosh, my attorney just told me, you know, we're three months away and it's going to get worse. And I'll say my divorce coach said the same thing. That's how you know you, got it. you have an attorney who really gets it because they are aware this does not get better. People will be rude to judges. They will act up in the courtroom. I mean, it's, this is really a bad show. They really have that support team. It really is. Oh, my gosh. You know, yes. I mean, yes, this is absolutely true. And there's no variation to this. That's the problem. You know, if you think that you have a unique situation, um, think again. Because when narcissists are divorcing they all this is the pattern they all do the same thing somebody else called in let's see if they want to ask a question hi hi uh, this hi. Is five two zero hi did you have a question i do when you say that all these patterns of narcissist divorcing are similar at what point is the cumulative repetitive experience of this in front of the judges begin to identify for the judges and the other people involved that there's a narcissist in the process. At what point does this become something that is, I'm going to say the word outed, just by virtue of some of the behaviors they deploy? Question. Susan, you want to take that? I do. Um, for those of you who know me and don't know me, you heard my bio, I have been a, a private investigator for a very long time. Now, I was a corporate investigator, but a couple decades, so I've been in the courtroom and I've testified quite a bit. It's very hard for a judge to suddenly, within minutes of hearing your case, oftentimes these cases, sometimes a divorce, you know, I don't know if you're going to a hearing, if you're having a two-day trial, all judges are different. Sometimes they just eyeball the, the records a couple minutes before they take the bench. Sometimes they look at it the day before. So you're right. The caller is right. Like, how do you out them? This is the skill of your attorney. And I always say to people, your attorney must specialize in narcissistic abuse. And if you have children, parental alienation, because will the narcissists try to alienate your children from you? Absolutely. It's a, it's a given. They will. Good catch. And, and good catch. so, I'm sorry, what? I said good catch. You were <laughs> nothing. Uh, <laughs> yes, I know. I know. Very good catch. Uh, but, uh, so I cleaned it up for this. But yes. they, they, they will. And you have to have counsel and you have to have a coach who knows this. You, and here's sort of an analogy. If you're, let's say you're born with a congenital heart 
condition. You're not going to die from it, but you're a little uncomfortable. And, you you know, you go to your doctor and they give you a protocol and you feel well 80% of the time. But then you find out that there's a doctor who just deals specifically with, with your, your condition and they have a protocol where you will feel well 99% of the time. Where will you go? It's hands down. You know where you go. Same thing applies to divorce. All divorce attorneys and all divorce coaches and therapists are not alike. If you don't have somebody who specializes in this, you can't, it's very hard to out them unless they misbehave in the courtroom. Very rarely will they misbehave. Usually they come into the courtroom, what I call the five C's, calm, cool, collective, charming, and conniving, and you come in, you know, angry, anxious, <laughs> agitated, and upset, and the courts will often see that for face value. If you have counsel who is astute at outing them, they do. They do very well. And actually, it doesn't even get that far. You, you settle. You don't get in the court because the right. narcissist counsel won't let that happen. They don't want their clients to go to court. Right. And the other thing is about a lawyer um, getting the correct counsel. It's very important that you do this. I mean, and it, your case will be made or broken by your attorney. Uh, and most of you who's, who have gone through this have seen your attorney sit there and do nothing when you're being accused. But the proper attorney tries this case by strategy. And typical divorce coaches or, colla I mean, divorce um, attorneys, collaborative attorneys, they have another playbook. They're not looking for strategy. They're going by the book, by the law. You're, it's up to your attorney to comb through the testimony, the allegations, everything before this even goes to court to find places to argue, to find places to make the narcissist, to show the narcissist as a liar. And once you show that they've lied and you have the proof that they've lied, there's not a whole lot more that lawyer can do for that person. Is that correct, Susan? That's, you know what, if there's one thing, there's two things, and I've talked to lots of judges and I've talked to lots of attorneys. So here's, here's my take on this. And I've worked with hundreds of lawyers, hundreds, maybe more, maybe close to a thousand in my career as a PI and also as a divorce coach. And I have clients that are attorneys, and I have attorneys who refer people to me. Here's what attorneys can't stand. Just going to let you know, number one, calling them and saying I'm divorcing a narcissist. Every attorney has said to me, if I hear this one more time, I'm going to scream. Everybody who writes to me tells me they're divorcing a narcissist. Many times they are. Many times they're not, okay? Sometimes somebody's just a jerk. And there's no law against being a, a jerk. When somebody is hurt, maybe they didn't want the divorce, they may do some kind of jerky things in the very beginning. But that can be tempered. When you're dealing with a real narcissist and when I get a con somebody contacts me and I ask very specific questions, I can tell by what this person is doing if they're very high conflict and if they're somewhere on that spectrum, narcissism, cluster B, cluster C. I'm not a diagnostician, but I've done this enough. And sometimes I will actually re reach out to Randy or I will reach out to somebody and say, you know, what are you thinking about this? So we, we know that um, – we don't want to use that phrase. And I help people interview attorneys. We talk about the type of attorneys who 
are high conflict attorneys, but I give people questions and answers, not just questions to ask the counsel, but answers to, to receive. And very often, uh, a client uh, or attorney would say, will say something like, I think you're dealing with a narcissist. When you hear that, you're in pretty good speed. Judges. There's one thing that a judge can't stand across the board, and that is a liar. And once you lie to a judge or the other side, the narcissist lies, really goes badly for whoever told the lie. Because once you tell a lie in the courtroom, first of all, it's recorded. So don't jump so quickly and think, oh, they're going to go to jail. Nobody goes to jail for lying. Just going to tell you that there. I mean, nobody goes to jail for that. But it reduces the credibility of the case. And if the narcissist comes in and they're caught in a lie, or you can demonstrate to the judge they have been lying through the, the claims they make against you, you have, you have evidence that they have lied, the, the case goes better in your favor. Again, that is your coach who teaches you how to gather evidence. People tell me consistently, oh, I have evidence all the time. I take a look at it. No, not really that good. It won't be admissible. Uh, PIs, what we do is gather evidence. Um, and so uh, you, you need the evidence and you need the, the counsel. This can work. It is not um, something that can't be done. You can divorce a narcissist and pretty successfully. You must have these, these things in place. Otherwise, no, then it doesn't work. Then it goes pretty badly. Did that help you with the question that you asked? Absolutely. Thank you so much. Um, okay. What's so interesting? You're welcome. Thank you, you for calling in. Wait, she was going to ask, what, what were you going to say? It's What's so interesting is? So interesting is when you talk about lying in court, um, because I, I want to understand, it seems like the narcissist's um, playbook, if you will, um, the truthfulness is is not on any page of their tr- of their playbook. Is that is that what you see? Oh, <laughs> mouth moving. They're lying. One thing, and, and Randy can speak about antisocial behavior in the cluster B. Um, you know, cluster C. These these clusters of uh, narcissistic borderline disorder. They are liars, and they're proficient liars. Very often, and I will ask all my clients, what do you know about your spouse before you married them? They don't know anything. They don't tell you anything about their dating history. You date you date a normal person, you marry a normal person, and I say normal, and I tell them, of course, there's a big spectrum of normal, but you know about your partner. They'll tell you, you know, about the girlfriend they had in college, and it didn't work out, and how sad they were after they broke up, and then maybe they dated one or two girls. You date a narcissist, you have no idea. I know Randy had uh, an expert, uh, Donna Anderson, on her show, and she was one of my TEDx speakers um, for TEDx Roland Park, and she had a horrendous experience. Um, we, you know, when you have these, um, you know, when, you, when you're with a narcissist, very often they will tell you a, a history that is so not true. Uh, I had a woman come to me, very, very tragic. She had a terrible divorce with her first husband and she met another guy and he love bombed her and they were together and she wanted to recreate the relationship that for her children, her children were still relatively young, maybe, you know, middle school age, uh, prepubescent. And then, you know, she sort of fell into this next guy's trap. Now this guy was a really bad actor. He had two other wives (laughs) in the United States. 
and he took her for all her money. Uh, he had her get into it. I mean, it just was a tragic story. So, you know, you they're proficient liars. They're excellent at liars, and you don't really know it until you're knee-deep in the relationship because they are they make sure you don't know. They keep you away from people who know them. If people who know them give you a little bird's eye idea, make a comment, and you go to them, they always have a story for why that's not true. And you then find out the truth. And when you find out the truth, you're usually already married to them, or living with them, or you've been dating them for four or five years. And it's pretty sobering to recognize how they will lie without any hesitation or reservation. Okay, I'm going to put you back on hold. Thank you. Your questions were awesome. Just keep listening. We have so much more for you, okay? And we'll give our websites at the end. So Susan will give her website so you can um, go on her site and, and read a lot of what she does, okay? Okay. What does someone do if they have already entered this process and not done it the best way possible. Is there a way to reverse this? Is there a way to go back in and do this right? Great question. Depends on where they are. If they are two weeks before their trial, no. It's going to be really hard. If if somebody's in the beginning of the divorce process, First thing I say to people is don't tell them, don't tell them you're getting divorced. Okay? Just don't, don't do that yet. Get yourself a good coach. Process this a little bit. Start your strategy. Um, if you're already in it, you have, an, you have counsel that's not working well, you need to find new counsel. You have to regroup. Oftentimes, you know, somebody who's gone through narcissistic abuse, you're divorcing a narcissist, you've got a lot of trauma going on. You've got stuff going on. There's chaos in your life. And then you have an attorney you've had for nine months. The needle hasn't moved on anything. They keep telling you they're working on it, working on it, working on it. You're like, but what's happening? I usually say to somebody, this will go another six months, nine months, nothing will happen. You have a counselor who's out of their league. Really good counselor is on this like Nobody's, you don't have to tell them your job. I know Randy has said to people consistently, if you're telling your attorney what to do, you don't have the right attorney. Your attorney, you're paying them. You should be able to go to sleep at night and know that they have your back. Doesn't mean that, you know, you're skipping rope and you're, you're not concerned and you're not, you don't have a, you know, your ear up for the next crazy thing the narcissist is going to do. And they do crazy things, smear campaigns. They start cozying up to your friends. Uh, They show up at your work. They contact your employer to try to get you fired. I mean, they do a lot of crazy stuff. But when you have a great attorney, that gets diffused because that attorney is on top of it. They're aware that this happens. When it happens, they jump immediately to the other counsel, you know, and they let the counsel know, hey, the gift that keeps giving just doesn't stop. And they have it on record that this continues and this better stop. And it really does switch up a game plan versus an attorney who is just out of their league and they say, well, let's just give it, you know, they'll stop. Let's just give it time. No, time makes it worse. And 
what's happening during that time. You're paying counsel. You're being abused by the narcissist. Your kids are calling you names. They refuse to see you. They refuse to come to your house. This has got to stop if you're in the right hands. Other than that, it goes poorly. So if you wait too long, I mean, people call me all the time and they'll tell me they have a mediation in four days. That gets tough. And, I mean, I give people suggestions. I said to Randy the other day, you know, sometimes people may think I'm harsh, but, you know, I get a call from somebody who has mediation four days or they have a hearing in two weeks or they're on their fourth counsel. We have to move quickly. And, you know, it, it, it's a little bit of a struggle because we've got trauma on one side. We have a narcissist on the other who's just coming at you. Uh, so we try to diffuse it, and I always let people know, if you get in the right hands, you'll be okay. You'll be okay. <laughs> Not the right hands, it's, it's pretty bad. Yeah. Right. And, and this is where Susan and I work in tandem quite often. <clears throat> Those who come to her and then come to me or come to me and then come to her and then get the, the right attorney, it is beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. <laughs> Look, it's not wonderful, but you, like Susan said, you can sleep at night. You don't feel like you're being, you know, railroaded, run over, because that's what the narcissist is going to do. And their attorney is going to do that. Their attorney is going to intimidate you as much as possible. They're going to pull up things you forgot about. And you're going to be like, oh, this is so embarrassing. How can they do this? Um, And another thing that you'll notice if you're with the wrong attorney, if you've gone to court and you know you have a great case and you lose the case and the, the, lawyer, the lawyer says to you, you're going to have to settle. You're just not going to win this thing. You're going to have to settle. And you know you had enough evidence. That's because the lawyer is out of their league. Um, Susan, will you talk about, because we didn't talk about the conflict of interest that happens when we consult with attorneys you mean conflict it out conflict out yep. with attorneys absolutely yeah. okay this is a big one so everybody listen to this we're very happy what often happens with the love bomb number two remember i mentioned the mistakes we make um there's something called conflicted out and it's really common and that is when you're shopping attorneys and you call an attorney uh, what happens is they take your name, obviously, they take your spouse's name, they ask you how long you've been married, how long you've been separated, are you still living in the same house, are there children, if they are, what are their genders and their ages, and then they will ask, or their sexes and their ages, they will ask you a couple questions. And then they put that in their database. You may have a consultation with them or you know, some kind of um, meeting with them to decide whether you want to hire them. You may not. But the information goes into the database, and you, will, and you leave that conversation. You may call three or four attorneys. If your spouse calls that law firm, that law firm can't, can't take them on as a client because they do what's called a conflict search. They take the same information from your spouse that they took from you, and then they look in their database. And if they see that you've called, they cannot take your, your spouse. What a narcissist does, and they do very well, is call every attorney in your town or every divorce attorney in your town. And I've seen this happen. Randy's seen it happen. We have a joint, not client, but somebody who reached out to us and had this happen. When this happens, you're in trouble because then you can't get counsel in your town. And it's very hard 
to get counsel that could come out of your jurisdiction. And if you do, they may not be familiar with the judges or the best interest attorneys or parent coordinators or custody evaluators that are in your jurisdiction. When I say your jurisdiction, you will try your case in the county where you live or the city where you live. If you got married in Washington State, but now you live in Washington, D.C., you're not getting divorced in Washington State. You're not getting divorced where you got married. You're getting divorced where you live. And if your spouse is conflicted out where no attorney can talk with you in your area, then what happens? Then you have to go out of your area. It's really important that your counsel knows the judges. And when they're in a jurisdiction, they get to know who the judges are. I mean, this is a, people often say to me, our courthouse is very corrupt. It's not that it's corrupt, it's a little incestuous. They all know each other, you know. Your divorce will be long gone, but they still have to work amongst each other. And sometimes they're on opposite sides of the table, sometimes they're on the same side. But they know each other. But if you have counsel that's going in really wet behind the ears and doesn't know anybody, that's tough. If you live in a rural area, attorneys in your town, and you're conflict-added to the four of them, that's really tough. That's why we always say, don't tell them. <laughs> don't tell the narcissist. They will be on the phone immediately to conflict you out. Right. So it's, you know, and I, ha- I want to drive that point home. When you're, if you're thinking about divorcing your spouse, the tendency is to get angry and say, this isn't working. I'm leaving you. I'm going to divorce you. Don't say it. What you need to be doing is playing the game, acting as if nothing's wrong, while you're gathering information. And while you are calling all the counsel in town so that your spouse cannot get the best of the best. So this can work the other way. Um, And Susan, what are some of the things that a person should be, some of the intel, some of the stuff that a person should be gathering while they're thinking about divorcing a narcissist? Great, great question. This is big. Everybody stop what you're doing and listen to this. (laughs) Or when you listen to it later, stop what you're doing and listen to this. Um, For a narcissist, power is usually money. And... Very often for the person who comes to me or the one who's divorcing a narcissist, their their love is for their family and their children, and that's what they care about. Narcissists could care less. They never did care. That's a struggle that people have. It's like, how could they? They never cared for me. No, they didn't. They, they're, in, they're incapable. Just remember, they're incapable. They can't care. They just can't. And so it's really important that you recognize they are going to go for the money. They will start hiding money. My absolute strong advice is need to know where everything is. When you finally get an attorney and they say, well, you know, how much do you still have left on your mortgage? I don't know. What about savings account? I don't know. He takes care of all that. What about retirement accounts? I don't know. He takes care of all that. If you've already told them that you're getting, you want a divorce, you won't find anything. So you need to go, and I don't want to give away two specific tips right here, Randy. <laughs> right. People to, um, I don't want to give too much away, uh, but there are ways to keep yourself financially safe because when that stuff goes missing, it goes missing. And then what happens? Then you have to pull in what's called a forensic accountant. Ouch. 
they can get mighty expensive. Because what are forensic accountants? They're basically investigators, like PIs, that are PIs for financial stuff. It can and be no, like upwards. It can be upwards of forty thousand dollars, forty forty five thousand, or more, just to call yeah. in one of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so, and and I've seen it get it get even more expensive. And by the way, <laughs> uh, if you have a spouse that is really hiding money, you're you're divorcing somebody who's in finance. Guys, like, let's get with the program. Make sure you know what you have because if you don't, that money will start to get dispersed. It will get funneled out of the country. They know how to get it offshore. Can a, financial, can a forensic find it? Absolutely, they can. But why? Why do you want to even get to that place when you can avoid it starting in the very beginning? And I have clients right now who have forensics, and it's not that easy. It's not as though, well, we'll just bring in a forensic, and then in a week they'll have everything. It doesn't work like that. They have to go through records. You have to provide them credit card statements, bank statements. They have to look work backwards. It's really an arduous process. Not that they don't know how to do it. They do. But it's not easy, it's not fast, and it's not cheap. So true. And take pictures of things that you find because when they miss, when they go missing, at least you have evidence. And don't keep those on a computer that can be uh, corrupted. Don't leave papers around. Don't leave a file around. Put it somewhere. If you have a friend, take it to their house, leave it there, family, uh, in your car if, you're, if your spouse doesn't use it. You need to be – the narcissist is smart. Their pathology makes them shrewd. And in order to come out of this okay, you cannot be gentle and soft. You're going to have to be shrewd. Don't think that yours is going to be different than most because it won't. Once a, once a narcissist is in the divorce process, you are discarded. You are a nobody. And now you are an enemy, an arch enemy. So you'll go from... You know, Randy... 40, mm-hmm. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was um, going to say, you'll, you'll go from, you know, you'll go from a, a marriage where you thought it was, lo- you know, decades of love to somebody who can't stand you and wants the worst for you. Go ahead. Safe deposit box. Guys, go get that safe deposit box. You don't need a big one. They have five by fives. I don't know what they are, like $75 a year. You put everything in there. You take pictures of things, you put it in there. And this way, I mean, yes, you could put it in your car, but if they ever get the keys to your car, then they can get it. I mean, safe deposit box, it's there. All major banks have a cluster of safe deposit boxes, and if one doesn't have them, if they don't have any available, find another one. But that's my, my recommendation. Randy's that's right. Yeah. They discard you. They discard you. Many of them already have girlfriends or boyfriends. You know, they've replaced you because nothing – and this is hard to drive home, and I, and I believe Randy has, has to, <laughs> does this a lot. They don't care. They don't care. I had the um, – <laughs> The experience, good, bad, or indifferent, I think it's more bad, of interviewing a self-proclaimed narcissist starting in April, and our last interview was in September, and it was stunning how much he doesn't care. And I took copious notes. I reached out to Randy after our first interview and said, oh, my gosh, I need to be denarked. Um, and I do this all the time. <laughs> but it's very stunning to sit six feet from somebody, and I had a myriad of questions. 
to really know how they process. It, it only validated what I already knew, but to look in somebody's eyes and to see that nothing really matters. They don't love their children in a normal, healthy way. They'll say they love their children. They'll tell the whole world they love their children. But yet they'll tell the child, you know, your mother's a, you know, dangerous, you can't be around her, she's a terrible person. They'll tell the children, you know, you're horrible. I mean, the things these people will do, your mother wants to stab you. I have a client who had to give her child cough medicine. Father said, uh, your mother wants you to be a drug addict. I mean, it's just stunning what they will say and do, what they will say to you as a partner. Uh, horrendous things about your body. They'll say horrible things about anything about you, about your children, if you have children from another relationship, about the children that you have together. They are really, you know, they just, they're so wretched. And that's just how they operate. They, they don't have filters about what they say. They cross boundaries. We see during divorce how they will start to chummy up to your friends and family. I have a client right now that got divorced last December. She got married in her late teens. They're now close. She's now close to 50. Her spouse wanted nothing to do with her mother, ever. She gets divorced, and now they go to, go to church with her on Sundays. And my client's mother is saying to her things like, well, you know, you were always my difficult child. No, she wasn't. <laughs> Somehow... This person has infiltrated not only with the mom, but he's now taken his paramour, who, by the way, he was with for 10 years while he was married to my client. And now he's taking her around friends that she's known for 30 years who are now no longer her friends. This is wow. not something they do sometimes. It's something they do all the time. All the time. Right. It's very so, so as we're as we're coming down to the end of the hour, I want to ask you one more question, and then I want to give you an opportunity to uh, tell everybody how to find your stuff. So, um, I wanted to. Uh, well, first, I just want to drive home the point. The whole point of this is you need support, and if you're asking yourself how, after hearing all this, how you possibly can go through something like that, this is what Susan told you at the top of the hour. You have to have support because the target keeps changing and you can get very much lost in the confusion of that. So if you have uh, an abuse coach or therapist, you have a divorce coach and you have a great lawyer, as the target moves, we can help you to stay focused. We can help you filter out all the garbage that's being thrown at you and so that you can realize what's happening. Um, okay. So Susan, I mentioned that you did a Ted talk, really powerful Ted talk on parental alienation. I know this is watched times around the world. So um, tell us briefly what that is and how somebody can watch it. Okay. Well, first of all, it's TEDx Talk. It's on it's parental alienation. Just go into in YouTube, type in Susan Schofer. That's my name, TEDx Talk, and it will pop up. I was asked to give a TED Talk three years ago, and the curator of the event asked me um, if I would do it. It was never something that was on my bucket list, but I thought, well, you know, this is something people don't want to talk about. Ironically enough, 
something like 22 million children in the United States alone are alienated. I get clients from around the world. This is not just the United States thing. It's in Canada, New Zealand, Australia, UK, Germany, you name it, it's everywhere. So I said to them, I would do the TEDx talk if I can do it from the perspective of the child. I mean, anybody can get up there not anybody, but somebody who specializes in parental alienation, and talk about the manifestations we see in kids and the way alienators alienate, and that's fabulous. But I want people to hear what happens to the child because in my practice I've had the honor, and I really want to say honor, of speaking to over 325 people who are now adults who were once alienated as kids. What's really stunning is the person who was alienating the child, the child knew that they were kind of a scary person. Even though they say, I love my mom, right? Like, that's the only person, they're the best, they're the best, they're the best. That child has just been supplied for that narcissist. You know, I only want to be with dad. He's the best thing in the world. He's always there for me. He's amazing. He's amazing. So the narcissist gets two things. They get supply from the kid, and then they also um, hurt you, the parent. But the truth is, these people don't do well in life. They really suffer. You know, they have a lot of anxiety problems. We see a higher incidence of drug abuse, drinking, alcohol, I want to say drinking, um, skin picking, skin, uh, hair pulling, what's called trichotrillinosis. We see cutting, lots of cutting. We see eating disorders, anorexia, bulimia, bulimia, and purging. Horrible, horrible things that these kids are plagued with because where can they go? They're trapped in this horrible tug of war. So the curator said, yes, you can do it from that perspective. And if you look at the comments, it really has touched a nerve with people who are going through this. So you may ask, well, 22 million people, why don't we talk about it more? And here's why. You know, when your child is hating you, and you don't know why, you know the other parent is, is implementing this, this horrible weapon towards you, it's very hard to talk to somebody about this. Even people who know you and have known you forever and you go to them and say, you know what, my, you know, my child Aaron, you know, I'm going to say Aaron, won't talk to me anymore. He, he hates me. They may agree with you, but, you know, you kind of turn your back and they say, you know, hmm, she must have done something. People are very afraid to share this because once they share, they feel as though they can't unshare it. But this is a tremendous problem. And in my talk, I say it doesn't just impact the parent and child. Grandparents get cut off. Siblings get cut off. This child is, you know, alienated and they're emboldened to one parent, but they don't see anybody else. They don't see their siblings. You know, I get a lot of calls from grandparents who did nothing wrong. They were wonderful grandparents. Now they don't see their grandkids. I have a good friend who that's happening to. So it's really, it's really a horrible thing that happens to these kids. So if you're going through that, please go take a look at the TED Talk. I think it will resonate with you. Okay, and you have some offerings on your website. So tell us what your website is and um, some of the offerings that people can get when they go there. Well, I'm not creative. Um, <laughs> my, my website is my name, Susan Schofer. My Instagram is Susan Schofer. On Facebook, my handle is Susan Schofer. I'm, I'm Clubhouse. My handle is Susan Schofer. On my website, guys, I do have a new course. It's up in the toolbar. It says mini course. It is fantastic. It's a three-hour meet just chit-chatting with you about parental alienation. I talk about what it is, the legal system, as well as how to talk to your children if you're still speaking with them. There's a couple other goodies, something you can watch over and over, and it's not expensive because we didn't make it all flashy. We made it affordable. 
And that is just, you know, it, it's worth every penny. It really helps you um, through this process. And then you can always reach out to me. Go into um, my website. Um, I'm very approachable. <laughs> you know, you can make an appointment or just send me a letter. I will respond. Yes, she is very approachable. Wow, this was such an important hour, and um, I hope you will all listen again because it's very hard to take in this amount of information just you know audibly. So if so, listen again, take notes because this is the kind of advice you'll pay for, but um, you know, you're getting it here for free. And I want to let everybody know there's an app called Clubhouse. I don't know if you're familiar with it. It's a place where people have these virtual rooms and they talk about different topics. So join Clubhouse every Tuesday, every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Eastern time, Susan Schofer and Randy Fine do a room about divorcing a narcissist and it is so validating and you can ask questions you can come up on stage and ask questions it's all virtual and we make sure that it's not recorded so you're safe to talk there and you'll get perspectives from other people who are going through this which will be so invaluable to you because you feel like you're alone in this. And when you hear how many people are experiencing exactly what you're experiencing, it's wonderful. So uh, I can't, I can't thank you enough, Susan. This was a wonderful hour and thank you for all your tremendous advice. I really, really appreciate it. I know everyone else does too. So thanks for being my guest today. You're welcome, Randy. Thank you so much. And everybody take care and listen, please, please don't be afraid. You can get through this. The right support, you can absolutely get through this. And then you can have a great life. It's really great on the other side. And you're, you can attest to that because you've done it. <laughs> yeah. So, oh, okay. It's raining All right. today. <laughs> it's raining today. Yes. Thank you so much. Everybody Thank have you. a we'll great take Friday. Soon. Okay, take okay, care. Okay, bye-bye. So we are out of time today, but if you have any comments or questions, you can email me at randy at randyfine.com. I made mine very simple as well. Um, I am moving towards a different kind of podcasting, which you will all be notified of. I am moving probably into more of a video podcasting that will be available on YouTube to watch. So I will let you all know. I'm not sure exactly when that's going to happen, but it's going to be very soon. So you can, there are uh, over 500 recorded podcasts on this blog talk radio that you can listen to. Great topics, so many different ones. You can always do that. And if you want to stay aware and, you know, abreast of everything that I'm doing, go to randyfine.com and just just sign up. I mean, get on there. Put your information in there because I send out blasts. So everything that I'm doing, I send out um, every week. There's a tip of the week that you'll get about dealing with narcissists. Um, I post shows that I'm doing. I post great articles that I think will benefit you. So go to randyfine.com and sign up. And that, that way, it doesn't cost you anything. That way, you're on the mailing list and you will get the emails. I thank you all for listening today. May joy and serenity always 
be yours. We hope you enjoyed today's show. Visit randyfine.com, R-A-N-D-I-F-I-N-E.com, and be sure to sign up to receive updates on the latest blog posts, events, and upcoming shows. Thank you for listening. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.